Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. All right. So we're, we're returning to the book of Colossians. It's been about three weeks since we've been in here. Uh, I've, I was gone three weeks ago with the, with the mission trip team. Um, week after that, we got back. We had a sharing Sunday. Last week, we had church picnic. So we've had a little bit of hiatus here. But we're, we're back in Colossians. It was, we started this back in the middle of June, uh, this, this series together. So I want to give us just a, a super brief recap just to kind of help our minds frame up where we've been so we know where we're going. So basically, Paul's learned about this church that's been established in the city of Colossae. Uh, and they are a faithful people, they're faithful to God, but they're facing lots of, lots of cultural pressures that are trying to derail them or knock them off of their faith in Christ alone. So Paul decides to write a letter to the Colossian people, even though he's never met them before, and this isn't a church that he began or established. And the reason he does that is he simply wants to encourage these believers in their faith. So he begins by telling them about how he's praying for them and he exalts and highlights the greatness of Jesus in this letter to them. And then Paul shares about his own determination to serve Jesus, even though he's suffering for serving Jesus in his own life. He says that his suffering is not a sign of defeat, but a confirmation of his own willingness to suffer like Jesus did out of love. It's something that's confirming that he's living the way the Lord would want him to. And specifically, Paul is glad to struggle and agonize for the Colossian people. He tells them that his heart is with them, even though he's far away from them physically. In the section that we're going to look at today, Paul is going to speak head on about the pressures that the Colossians are experiencing that are trying to turn those people away from their faith in Jesus. So for us, we're obviously not from Colossae and we didn't live almost 2,000 years ago when this was written, but here's, here's just kind of a prelude. I think this is going to be a takeaway that we can look forward to in, in this message. If you've ever felt torn between pleasing God and feeling the need to follow some sort of religious system or obligation, I think that there's actually a great encouragement and help that can be found in today's passage. So if you feel like sometimes the pressure of meeting the expectations of, of a denomination that you grew up in, a faith heritage that your parents impressed on you, or anything else like that, I want you to know that today you can walk free from those things and make your heart fully and completely a place for only Jesus to dwell and to lead your life. Does, doesn't that sound pretty good? So yeah, let's, uh, let's pray and then we're going to dig into what Paul says here. Lord God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and already prepare a way for your word to be received in each person's heart. You know the, the obstacles and the challenges that all of us face in life. You know the experiences that we've had that have maybe caused us to shy away from certain things or to feel that we have to earn your approval for, through doing one thing or another. But Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just take those things away. You would lift those burdens from us right now and we would take on the burden that you say that you give us. It's easy to carry for your yoke that you place on us is light. You want to teach us as a humble and gentle person. So I pray that we would receive that and not be burdened by religiosity 
or traditions or a heritage that is above and beyond the simple truth that you want us to live by. Thank you in advance, Jesus, for what you plan to do in each person's life. Amen. All right, so let's start this morning with Colossians 2, verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. So this verse is at the heart of pretty much every single message that we preach here at CFC. If we were going to speak about the heart of this verse to one another, we might say, hey, we have accepted Jesus' great gift of salvation. Let's closely follow him now for the rest of our lives. That's That's the very essential truth of what this verse is saying. One thing that I I say to people whenever I get a chance to share the gospel with them, and especially when I have the joy of leading someone to place their faith in Jesus, I'll say something like, you've begun something new today, and something new has begun in you. Knowing Jesus isn't like crossing a finish line. It's actually like putting your feet in the starting blocks at the beginning of a race, and you're going to set out from this point for the rest of your life. I feel this is kind of like what Paul is saying to the Colossians. Now that you've accepted Christ through faith, continue with him. Run the race that he has laid out before you. Then Paul explains how to continue to follow Jesus in verse 7. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So roots, or roots, as a lot of you say, are what draw nourishment up from the ground. How many people say roots? Okay, you guys are right. No, we don't drink root beer. It's root beer, right? Isn't it? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. There's more Americans than Canadians, so I think we're probably going to be outvoted. So roots are what draw nourishment into the plant or into the being, right? Jesus is supposed to be the sole source of what sustains, nourishes, and grows us. We get everything we need for our Christian lives and for life in general from following and knowing and setting our hearts on Jesus. And then mixing metaphors in this very same verse, Paul lets us know that our lives need to be built on Jesus. That's where the growth and the strength and the thankfulness come from when our lives are built on him. But here's a question. I'm, I'm looking for a little bit of feedback this morning, so this is your chance to participate. What does it mean to build your life? On something. Not necessarily Jesus, but just anything. What does it mean to build your life on something? Anyone have any thoughts? Luke, I see your hand up, but you're behind the glass. There you go. Hey, how's it going? Dedication. Dedication. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good word. Larry. Foundation. A foundation. Yes, absolutely. Al. It's satisfying. It's satisfying. Yeah, when you build your life on something, that's what you're hoping will satisfy you, right? Commitment. Commitment, absolutely. Goals. Goals, that's your goal. That's your direction in life. Yeah, I think that those are all very, very good answers. When you build your life on something, that thing that you're building your life on becomes your focus. So if I build my life on sports, what will my life look like, right? Well, if I build my life on baseball, that's my favorite sport, I'm going to know everything there is to know about baseball. That's going to be my goal. I'm going to practice it. I'm going to mimic my favorite athletes. I'm going to go to camps and and places where I can get specialized training. I'm going to seek a career that allows me to be involved in the thing that I'm building my life on. Sports, baseball is going to consume me, right? 
That's just the way it would go. Well, what if I build my life on success or career or wealth? Then clearly every waking moment of my life, I'm going to set my mind on making as much money as possible, having as posh or luxurious a lifestyle as possible, because that's my definition of success. And I'm going to strive for those things. I'm not going to allow anything else to come in and take me off of my focus to have a successful career and lots of wealth. What if I build my life on happiness of family relationships? What would that look like in my life? Everything I do, every decision I make, the consideration is going to be, how is this going to affect my family? How is this going to affect my parents, my siblings, my wife, my kids? Because everything about my life that I think is going to bring me joy and happiness is built on happy family relationships. I might go to church, but if they don't think it's a good idea, I would never threaten them because church isn't something that they're into, right? We laugh, but you know what? Some people actually think that way. They say, I would rather have good relationships with my kids than make them think that I'm some religious weirdo. But that's what happens when we build our lives on something. What happens, though, if we build our lives on Jesus? Like Paul is saying, what will our lives look like then? I think what happens is that we say, I'm building my life on Jesus. So every decision that we make Every option that we have, every pursuit that we choose to go after in our lives, we're going to consider, is this going to bring me closer to Jesus? Or is this going to be a wedge that drives me away from Jesus, right? That's the logical way to think if, and it's a big if, someone wants to build their life on Jesus Christ. I think there's, there's lots of different things that we can do that are going to help us focus our lives and build our lives on Christ. I just want to share three things with you this morning because I think practical pieces to say, here's this Bible concept, how does this look like in our lives? I think those practical pieces, we need to lay those out. I think three keys for building our life on Jesus just begins by knowing Jesus. You can't build your life on something or someone that you know nothing about, Right? So everyone say, no, Jesus. Jesus. All right. So this is done through having a devotional life. And we we use that term. We use that, that terminology or that jargon. All it means is spending time intentionally in the word of God and in prayer in order to know who God is, in order to know what Jesus is like. I can tell you about him, and that's good, but I think when we pursue him personally on our own, that's when we begin to know Jesus. Because sometimes I might go at a pace that is too slow for you or too fast for you, but when you spend time with the Lord on your own, that's when knowing Jesus really comes alive. It comes through the word, through hearing good teaching, through praying, through listening for God's voice, and through worshiping and thanking God. Because that's when you're beginning to interact. And you know Jesus like a friend, like a colleague, like someone that you work with. Jesus becomes more and more personal in your life all the time. The second thing is experience Jesus. Everyone say experience Jesus. Jesus. Right, because knowing Jesus... Anyone can do that. That that doesn't mean that they've put their faith in him or that they're choosing to follow him. It just means that they might know facts about Jesus, right? And that's not the goal. That's part of it, but that's not the end game. You want to experience all that he is. So take all the things that you learn and discover by knowing Jesus through a devotional life and put those truths, those lessons into practice in your life. If you read your Bible and it says, love your neighbor, 
Go and do that. And in that way, you will begin to experience what life with Jesus is like. If you read in your Bible, bear one another's burdens, go and do that. Find someone who needs encouragement and help and love and say, hey, you're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. And the Bible says you're supposed to bear one another's burdens. Can I come and spend time with you? Can I take you out for lunch? I just want to talk. Can I, can I bring you some cookies? I, I hear that you're going through a tough time. Whatever it is, bear one another's burdens. Can I pray for you? Can I, can I be with you so that you don't have to face this alone? What if your Bible says uh, that we're supposed to witness for Christ? Which it does. We need to go and do that, right? That's how we experience Jesus. I can't just say, of course, I want to tell everyone about God. I want to tell everyone about the good news of Jesus and what he's done for me. But if I don't go and do it, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I haven't experienced that sort of fellowship with the Lord. Experiencing Jesus, it happens in two ways. As we either apply his truth to our lives and it changes the way we live and work and think, or if we serve others by bringing God's truth to them. And the final thing that I just want to highlight this morning is is deeper hunger for Jesus. Just everyone say hunger. So when we choose to desire and pray for greater intimacy with Jesus' Holy Spirit, that's when a hunger can begin to develop in us. Sometimes we don't know if we really want more of Jesus. We're content with what we have. I know that I'm saved. What else is there, right? But that's a dangerous place to be because we think that we might be plateauing at that spot. It's like I'm steady, everything's good. But really, we're probably on a slow descent slipping away from Jesus because we don't desire more of him. We're not hungering to be more like Jesus. The supernatural empowerment that only Jesus' Holy Spirit can give increases our sensitivity to what the Holy Spirit is speaking into our lives. So do we want that? Do we want more of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. I certainly do. I pray all the time, Jesus, I want more. I need you more. I can't just continue to function on what you've given me. I I thirst and I hunger for more of you so that I would go deeper. I don't want to be shallow, Jesus. I want to go deeper with you. So as we become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we get to be more in tune with Jesus himself, his purposes for our lives, and our reliance on him rather than on ourselves. Having God's Holy Spirit burn brighter and brighter in us is where our greatest joy comes from. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, is it not? It's not the fruit of you pursuing entertainment. It's not the pursuit of, or it's not the result of me choosing to have a fun, luxurious, posh lifestyle. That's not where joy comes from. That's one of the greatest lies that this world has told us, that joy comes from all the things and the stuff that you fill your life with. That's not true. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the wonderful things listed in Galatians 5, and 23. We want those things, but it says that we need the Holy Spirit first. That's where those things come from. I've seen these three things, knowing Jesus, experiencing Jesus, and a deeper hunger for Jesus in the lives of people who have built their lives on Jesus, just like Paul has instructed us to do. One example is a friend of mine from Manitoba. Her name is Connie. If you asked Connie any day, any day, it could be Christmas, it could be in the middle of summer, it could be in the, in the deep darkness of a Canadian January winter or something like that. If you asked Connie, what are you learning about Jesus right now? She would have an answer for you. Because she's never not learning. She's never not hungering. She's never not pursuing Jesus, right? 
It's a consistent part of her daily routine. Reading God's word and praying is as much a part of her day as eating and breathing are. Connie sees what the word of God teaches her, and then she takes every opportunity to experience what she's read about. She experiences what she learns about as she prays for those things to take place in her life. She sacrifices things in her life that aren't helping her grow closer to Jesus. She intentionally chooses to spend time with other Christians because as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, right? She participates in the church with purpose and passion. She asks questions of other Christians that she feels she can learn something from because she sees something in them that she admires and wants in her own life. She puts her faith to use in regular ways as well. She serves God's kingdom by leading worship in her church. She's been involved in prison ministry to women. She's witnessing in her workplace every week. All this takes place, or as all this takes place, there's this insatiable and deep hunger for Jesus and fellowship with the Holy Spirit that Connie experiences. Connie's life is clearly built on Jesus. She's not a staff member at a church. She's not a missionary overseas. She's not leading a certain ministry in her church. She's just a servant. She's not an influencer on social media. She's a wife. She's a mother. But there's no denying that her life is built on Jesus because she has chosen. She has chosen to make it like that. There's nothing that compares with a life built on Jesus Christ where our roots are plunged deep into the goodness that only Jesus offers us. So because knowing Jesus like this is so precious to our faith, Paul begins to warn the Colossians when he says next in verse 8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So this word capture in Greek, it means to kidnap someone or to lead someone away from the truth. Now, when I was a kid, I was in kindergarten, grade one and grade two. It was like the late eighties and, and we were always being taught in school. Hey, stranger danger, don't get into a car with someone you don't know. Does anyone remember those campaigns? Yeah. Oh yeah. Children of the eighties. I love it. So I remember things like they would warn us if someone asks you for directions and say, Hey, can you show me how to get to the park? Don't say, sure, let me hop in and I'll show you how to get there. That's a bad move, right? Just say, you need to ask an adult and back away slowly, all this kind of stuff, right? Or if someone says, hey, I'm your dad's friend. He asked me to pick you up after school today. Don't do it. That's a warning. So this, these campaigns, these slogans, these teachings in school and on TV, they were warning us, don't get captured by someone who wants to kidnap you or steal you or lead you away from your family or a place of safety. So we needed those things in our lives because as kids, we were susceptible to those kinds of lies and attacks. We were young. We were naive. We didn't understand that we needed to be a little bit leery of people who had those tactics against us. It was our physical safety that was at risk. And Paul knows that the Colossian Christians, they are susceptible to lies and tactics of the spiritual world. Their spiritual well-being was at risk if they were led away from faith alone in Jesus Christ. So it may sound like Paul then lists in verse 8 here, 
a couple of things that can capture us away from Jesus. But really, these things that he mentions, empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense, human thinking, and spiritual powers of this world, they all mean one thing. The ideas stemming from rules-based, obedience-to-the-law-style religion. That's what the Colossians were fighting against. This was one of the main pressures of that church. People who promoted faithfulness to God by following Jewish laws and customs or the Roman and Greek ideas about multiple gods that many of the people in the Colossian church also grew up with. But Jesus isn't focused on those kinds of things. Jesus, is ne- his, his heart and his focus is never on outward conformity. That's what religion tries to achieve. Jesus, instead, he cares about inward renewal and transformation of our hearts. Jesus is, about, is, is all about love and grace and mercy and trust and hope and forgiveness. All the components that create an excellent relationship, not just a legal understanding between him and us. When we first come to Jesus in faith, not by our own deeds, but by trusting in the grace of God, that's very good. But we can get a little bit weird sometimes thinking that we maintain right standing with God by trying to do everything the right way and earning God's approval. When we start to think like that, we have been kidnapped away from the grace of God that made us right with him in the first place. Sure, we can be motivated to live lives that honor God and there's, there's good deeds and there's obedience and righteousness, all wonderful things that we can pursue, but we can go too far if we begin to think that only if we conform to a specific ritualistic pattern or doing a certain recipe of good deeds do we maintain God's favor. The right standing we have with God began because of his graciousness towards us. It was an incredible gift. And that gift is what keeps on giving and sustaining us. That gift remains because God's graciousness towards us is still there. The Colossian people had all these human ideas, these religious ideas bombarding them, trying to capture this simple grace that God had given them and stealing them away from that. They were, like, they were new Christians who had either grown up with Greek and Roman idea that there were multiple gods that all needed to be worshipped and now Jesus was just another god or they grew up in a Jewish home being taught that their salvation depended on strict adherence to the Torah, the Jewish law. If we buy into this kind of humanistic thinking, it can uproot us from Christ. Competing spiritual ideas like these are like a a sledgehammer that, that pound away at the foundation that we have built our lives on, and that's Jesus Christ. We mentioned before that the word capture in verse 8 means kidnap or lead someone away from the truth. There's another meaning that it has, which is a little bit more sinister. Capture can also refer to a predator who is carrying off his prey. We can be carried off like victims of of a spiritual predator, if we begin to believe that we earn Jesus's approval through rites, rituals, and rules. This reminds me of what it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. I think I have this one. I don't. Sorry, I'll just read it. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Doesn't a predator who carries off his prey remind us of the tactics and the the motives of the devil? He wants to sink his teeth into us and pull us as far away from Jesus as he possibly can. 
The enemy of all Christians, the devil, is a predator. He is lurking in the empty philosophies and the nonsense that come from people who are bound up and held captive by human religious ideas, rules, rituals, and traditions. Basically, Paul is saying, forget everything else but Jesus. It's Christ alone that holds us together. And the more you know this truth and the more you allow it to take home, make a home in your heart, the more spiritual strength you will receive when you make it all about Jesus. Verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every spiritual ruler. So the reason why Paul emphasizes that the Colossians are complete through their union with Christ is because the Colossians were at risk of thinking, yes, Jesus is important, but what about all this other stuff, right? What about the ideas of the, Ro- the Romans and the Jews that they're emphasizing? What about all these ideas that we grew up with? Before we knew who Jesus was. So we're going to hear about some of those things specifically in just a minute when we get to verses 16, 17, and 18. I'm telling you today that the same thing that Paul is saying, you are complete because through faith you have entered into a union with Christ. Those things are the same for us. There is no spiritual tradition or religious religious practice apart from knowing Jesus and having faith alone in Christ that is going to hold us in relationship with him. Our completeness doesn't come from following multiple ideas or diversifying our religious portfolio. With Jesus, we can throw all of our eggs in one basket. We can put all of our hope in Jesus alone and we will find everything that we're looking for. Some people that I talk to, and this, this happens to me very regularly, they say, Jesus is good, but I think that I also need to consider the ways of Buddha and Hinduism and all these other Islamic things that, you know, the world is talking about. I think there's new age ideas. I think God is, is me and I am in God and, and all these kinds of things. It's like, okay, well, that's just a lot of ideas. So which one are you going to follow? And how do you know which one you're following the right way? And if you're following all these things, what if one of them says that you're supposed to follow this one only and not the others, right? So we actually get into trouble when we make God this pluralistic idea. But when we look at the truth of what Jesus says, it says, come to me, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. All of a sudden, things get very clear when we cut out all other distractions and say, Jesus, I'm in. I'm 100% devoted to you. Paul also says that there is no other ruler or authority, spiritual or earthly, that we need to worry about because Christ is above them all. He is the head of all of those things. And because all rulers and authorities are going to tremble at the feet of Jesus, we may as well just cut to the chase and say, well, if they're all going to bow to Jesus eventually, why don't I just bow to him right now? In Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11, it says, Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone and everything is under Jesus. So it doesn't make sense for us to consider all those things that are subject to Jesus. It makes way more sense to say, Christ, you have everything that I could possibly need. I'm just going to go straight to you. In verse 11, Paul begins now to describe what happened when we put our faith in Christ. 
When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Phew, right? Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So here the idea of circumcision and baptism are kind of being related to each other. When we believed in Jesus, he performed a spiritual circumcision in our hearts. He cut away our spiritual identity as sinners, and now we are identified as God's children. We are righteous in God's eyes. When a Christian gets baptized, just like we had here recently, and we're going to have again in, in August, which I'm excited about, when a Christian gets baptized, it's evidence that they have been changed on the inside. They are dead to sin and they are alive in Christ. They go under the water saying, I'm dead to who I used to be and I'm born again. I'm this new person that Jesus has created me to be. Jesus died and came back to life showing us that we can have new life in him as well. Paul continues, verse 13. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Don't you love that? I love that part. He shamed them. It's like, you guys think you're going to get the best of me? Watch this. And he just embarrassed them, humiliated them by saying, what you think is your victory is actually your defeat because I am conquering sin and death today. Amen? Amen. Yeah, man, I love that stuff. So Paul is showing why back in verse 10, he could say, so you are complete through your union with Christ. Verse 11 to 15 explained that the completeness of the work of Jesus has been done in us. Christ alone is the one who took us from death to life, from lost to found, from stained by sin to saved by grace. A few moments ago, we mentioned that the Colossian people had grown up with other traditions that they were being told they needed to follow, even though, they had all the, they, even though these traditions had no basis or no connection to Jesus. We've also said today that if an idea is from Jesus, we should obey it. And if it's not from Jesus, we can just choose to disregard it. The next section is about those two things. Verse 16 starts by saying, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. So in this passage, Paul has just named the false ideas that come from the false teachers found in Colossae. Rules about eating and drinking and holy days and ceremonies and Sabbaths and worshiping angels, all that stuff. Basically, if I'm paraphrasing here, Paul's saying it's a bunch of baloney. You know why? Because they have nothing to do with Jesus. If Jesus is the one who we are saved by, why would we begin to focus on all this other weirdness, right? It just doesn't make any sense. When someone teaches the importance of any idea that makes people burdened by rules instead of liberated by love to follow Jesus, that person does not know Jesus themselves. 
A person who doesn't know Jesus, they can't be trusted with any authority inside of a church, right? Jesus is the head of the church. He is, he is the one who holds us all together. We are nourished in our heart and soul as we grow through Jesus. So that's why any teacher that we choose to listen to, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's in person or whatever, we have to make sure that they're pointing us to Jesus, not to a bunch of other ideas that are competing with Jesus. Finally, Paul challenges the Colossian people and us to think about what we have in Christ. Verse 20, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world? Such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human ideas or teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and even severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help, not little help, but no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Isn't that the crazy thing? Like in, in life as Christians, we all want to like just be freed more and more and more from the stuff that haunted us in our past, right? So all these things, this pious self-denial, this worship of angels, these rules and rites and rituals that were being promoted, none of them accomplished the very thing that our hearts long for, liberation from sin and living in freedom with Christ. So that's why the focus has to be on Jesus because nothing else can help us. Jesus is the only one. He's the one who delivered us initially. He's the one who sanctifies us. He's the one who carries us on to completion until the day that he returns. Jesus himself said in John 4 verse 24, For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Closeness with God. This is important. Closeness with God is always a matter of the heart. Not our outward actions. Not our obedience to certain things. That doesn't make us more Christian. But when we invite Jesus in to change us, saying, Jesus, all I want is to be more like you. I can't create that to happen, but I trust that your Holy Spirit is going to work in me. I want you in me. I want you to take hold and lead me. And you'll provide the changes that need to happen in my life. When we give our hearts to God, he works in our lives from the inside out. Religion is all about keeping up appearances and it works from the outside. No, it doesn't work from the outside in. It just stays on the outside. That's all it could ever accomplish. There's no life or lasting change in the ideas of this world, even if they sound really appealing. Second Corinthians 3 verse 16 to 18 says this, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil or their blinders are taken away. For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Again, it's the spirit of who? The Lord, right? It's the spirit of the Lord that accomplishes all these things. Not some earthly spirit, not some spirit of authority that we see in another person. The Lord that makes us more and more like Jesus. That's the spirit that we're after. So at the beginning of the passage today, Paul said, and now just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. We accepted him by believing in the work that he could do in our hearts by the power of his spirit. And we continue to follow him every day as we keep trusting in the power of his spirit. 
I want to, I want to pause here for a minute. We've, we've gone through this passage. We can clearly see that human ideas, human teaching, all that kind of stuff, rights, rules, rituals, traditions, heritage, all that kind of stuff. That's not what changes us. It's the power of Jesus Christ within us. But there's, there's probably some of us who've grown up in places where we may have been unintentionally manipulated to believing that, oh man, if, if I don't go to church every Sunday, I need to ask for forgiveness because my salvation is now in question. Maybe we grew up in a tradition like that. Maybe we grew up in a tradition where you can never be sure that you're saved and you have to always be fearful and groveling before the Lord because only if you're humble and saying how awful you are will Christ then accept you, right? Maybe you grew up in a tradition where uh, women were told to be quiet and were not allowed to say anything in a church setting or weren't allowed to, to have any sort of authority or giftings from God and that was all man's work, right? So there's a bunch of things that can, that can hinder us from walking with Jesus today. So I just want to spend some time here. We're going to ask a couple of questions. And we're going to spend some time in personal prayer. I'm not going to say anything. I just I want to ask the questions and give you an opportunity to interact with Jesus. Karen, if you would come up and, and just play behind us, that would be awesome. So the question I think that we need to start with is this. Jesus, is there a human idea that I have believed that is holding me back from following you alone. I would invite you to just close your eyes and, and ask God to speak to you about this and take, take mental notes about what he's saying. God's revealing some sort of a human idea to you that you might have held on to that you weren't supposed to, don't feel bad, okay? This isn't a time to feel gross or, or, or like you're a failure or something like that. We're just, we're just giving Jesus an opportunity to continue to set us free, right? So if, if something came to you and it's like, oh boy, I think that idea that I was brought up with or that I read somewhere and I think I've been believing that, I don't know if that's actually from Jesus. All you have to do right now if you want to walk away from this is admit this idea is something that is a place in your life that it doesn't deserve to have. Just tell Jesus, hey, I'm sorry I've given more power to this idea than I should have. As you do that, what you can also do is you can just confess, uh, confess that to God. Say, Lord, you know, I think in following that idea, clearly it's led me away from just faith in you alone And I I don't want that kind of a sin idea to be between you and me. So I want to confess that to you. I'm sorry that I've believed this idea and that I've stolen away from you the fullness of the authority that you deserve to have in my life. If you just want to confess and apologize like that, that would be perfect. Jesus would gladly accept that. And now in, in our hearts as we've, the Bible talks about this, like when, when we confess sin, there's this corner of our heart that's swept out and it's cleaned, right? 
But what happens is if we don't give that portion of our life that's been cleaned out, if we don't give that to Jesus and invite him to fill it, it says that other ideas, other spirits can come and, and inhabit us that we never wanted to in the first place. So now that you've confessed these things to Jesus and he's forgiven you of your sins and he loves you, why not just invite him, Jesus, come and fill in every crevice in my life with your Holy Spirit. Invite him to come and fill you fully and in a fresh and new way. Let me pray over you, friends. Lord God, we know that in this place right now, there are people who are giving over uh, a portion of their life to you that has been stolen that has been captured, like Paul says, by an idea that was never meant to have a place in their life. You know exactly what those ideas are, and you know that if there's further healing or deliverance that's needed, we trust you, Lord Jesus, that you are going to lead people to pursue that. But in this place right now, for everyone who has identified something in their life that doesn't belong there, they've given it over to you, they've confessed that as their sin, and they've asked you to fill them again fresh and full with your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would touch them deep in their heart in only the way that you No other human invention, no other human idea has the power that you do. So help us, Lord, to walk with wisdom and revelation that only the Spirit gives so that when we see foreign ideas, human ideas, trying to conquer a portion of our heart, that we would say, no, that's not from you, Lord. So I will not accept that. And instead, I will say, I am following Jesus alone. Thank you, Jesus that we have this clear message from Paul. And thank you that you are the one. It is your power. It is your brilliance and your love for us that helps us to live in the fullness that you want us to have. Amen.